Kia and welcome to another episode of Big Life Mindset, the podcast that is designed to help you live a life you love so you love life more. My name is Eddie Rakanui, and this podcast is in the top 10% most shared worldwide on Spotify. I've coached winners of the Westpac Bank Innovation Award. I've created online courses to build your confidence at work. I also do a lot of hitchhiking and provide life coaching to those that I encounter. But above all else, above everything else, is that I'm living a life that I absolutely love. If you've ever had the pressure of organizing an event that has had a large number of people, let's say anything over 100, but you've also had the dynamic of cultural differences, then you're going to appreciate a lot of what comes up next. This podcast, this particular episode, is actually being recorded in a car park outside my daughter's dance class. So you're not going to have the benefit of seeing my amazing features (laughs) on my YouTube or Spotify channel. But that being said, we'll still get through this in a nice and timely manner. The thing I wanted to start off with is, for many people, this experience is going to have some similarities, but for the actual context of it itself, that's going to be completely foreign to them. What I mean is, is that over the weekend, we organized my, our son Kyson's haircutting. Now, haircuttings in general are a pretty run-of-the-mill thing. But in our culture, in my culture anyway, the child's first haircutting, the male child's first haircutting, is a very big event. The haircutting ceremony itself is celebrated in among several Pacific nations. And three of them, of the three of them, Tonga, Niue, and the Cook Islands, that's where it has a lot of its roots. For my family, well, my family's from the Cook Islands. My mother is from Rarotonga, which is the main island, and my father is from Achu, also known as Inuamanu. Within the Cook Islands, and there's 15 separate islands, within the Cook Islands, Inuamanu, or Achu, is the origin, that's the, the birthplace of the haircutting ceremony. Now, our son is five, and so this is the first time he's had his hair cut. In terms of the context, or why it's important, the ceremony has been going on for so long that a lot of the stories, or at least the the origins of it have changed over time and there's a large number of variations as to why we have a haircutting ceremony. If you were to look in the National Archives, they would tell you that in the times of my ancestors, spirits would roam the earth at night and they would feel the heads of the children and if the child had long hair, then They would leave that child alone. But if the child had short hair, i.e. a boy, then they would take the soul of that child. Now, you can understand how they had that logic because back in those times, the child or the male child infant mortality rate was a lot higher. And I think it still is. Another variation to that story is that it wasn't the males at all that ever cut their hair. In fact, it was only females that cut their hair. And they did so at the time of a family bereavement. So when somebody in the family had passed away, then they would cut their hair as part of the mourning process. Yet another variation to the story is my father's island is known as a warrior race. Archu Tumu or Archu Warrior is a common phrase that is used. This island earned this phrase and earned this title. And the only way you're going to earn a title of being a warrior race is by having a race of warriors. Now, they would go out and they would sail the Pacific uh, Pacific Ocean and they were known to, often uninvited, (laughs) conquer other peoples they would take the they would kill the males there they would take women back they would take food and crops back to their island 
uh, and they were they were essentially the bullies of their neighbourhood. There's a small group of islands within the Cook Islands called Naputoru, which are two other islands that are situated or sited close to where my father's island is from. And they were also known to have to deal with this as a problem, deal with the Archuans, deal with the, uh, the people from Inuamanu as, a, as that was a challenge for them. And you can imagine, you know, back in those days, they would, if, if somebody turned up on your island, there's nowhere to go. It is very much a kill or be killed environment. So it must have been particularly brutal to have this tribe, this this island of warriors who had been honing their craft over hundreds, if not thousands of years, rock up at your doorstep and there is no alternative. You fight to the death and that's pretty much it. Anyway, another of those variations that I discussed is that the Archuans, knowing that they were a catalyst for a lot of these problems, were weary of retribution, of revenge from anybody else. And so by keeping a child here long, anybody who retaliated and came to attack them on their island would instinctively think that it was a young girl. And so they wouldn't kill the boys who would obviously grow up later in life to become these warriors. And so that was a way that they helped kind of smuggle them through that period. This all changed with the arrival of the missionaries and with Christianity. What hasn't changed, though, through the course of time is the importance of the village in helping to raise a young boy. And through the passage of time, during these haircutting ceremonies, this was when a lot of the gifts of food were shared between the villagers and where the importance of the villagers in helping to raise this child was reinforced. And so for us, we wanted to continue to mark that occasion and to celebrate that, um, that sense of solidarity and togetherness and connectedness. For Kaisen's haircutting, we had over a hundred people there. I think we had a hundred and four confirmed. And you know what people are like with RSVPs, they don't tend to RSVP, they just rock up. So we had quite a few extras. Uh, we had seating for 115, and I, I know we had quite a lot of people standing. So, you know, in terms of a in terms of a five-year-old's birthday, it's kind of a big event. Before we went through the process of doing this haircutting celebration, we actually had spent months, if not years really, talking with Maya and Scarlett, our two eldest daughters. And the reason we'd spoken with them was we've always pressed upon them and, and highlighted with them that any opportunity, so sorry, that they should have every opportunity that is available to a male, no matter what the situation. In this, in this particular custom, it's only the firstborn male that gets their hair cut. Before we made the decision to go down this road, we sought their endorsement and their acceptance not really acceptance but actually endorsement of having the hair cutting ceremony knowing that it was not something that that was going to be available to them if we followed the tradition as it was so there was there was a it was a really cool journey in the sense that it wasn't pressed onto them it was never forced onto them. It was never forced onto Kaisen. It was very much, we recognize the cultural aspect and the history and the tradition that sits behind this. But if our girls didn't want to have it because they felt it was unfair, then that would have been it. That would have been the full stop. And that's all it would have taken for this event to not have happened. And so hundreds, if not thousands of years of tradition would have stopped and I would have been cool and both Debbie and I would have been cool and comfortable saying actually no 
we're, we're not doing this for these reasons. As it turns out, as it panned out, they were comfortable with that. They wanted to do that. They wanted that tradition to be continued. They wanted to be part of it. They wanted to be driving the celebration as well. And so with their endorsement, with their, with their approval, it went ahead. The lead up to the ceremony itself, uh, you know, as I mentioned, it was, it was months in the making, but we'd also made a, a conscious effort to not solve all of the challenges too early. And by that I mean, before the ceremony itself, we had uh, we had this big overseas trip to Rarotonga where we took the whole family and check out another episode that I talk about, you know, never let money be the deciding factor in whether you have these lifelong uh, milestones. That was an example. And then we followed that up with Christmas and then New Year's. And then uh, one of my brothers had his 40th birthday and, you know, it was just, it was there was a there's been a lot going on and so we we'd made a conscious effort to not think about or plan or or prepare for the haircutting ceremony until after we'd gone through all of those that has the benefit of allowing you to be present in every single one of those events without constantly worrying about this future event that you've got to organize one of the challenges being obviously that because you don't put the preparation in beforehand you can feel very pressed for time. And that's kind of the way it panned out. Um, you know, there was definitely things that I, we could have done a little bit earlier, but honestly, if, you know, I'm that kind of person. I wouldn't change a thing given how it all panned out. Because it's such a cultural event and because there are, you know, that my, my side of the family were, um, you know, they're, they're critical in all this. My dad's still alive. His siblings are still alive. Uh, it, it means a lot to me that if we did something like this event, that we did it right. There's ways and means that you can do it. There's definitely ways you can do it wrong. But there's ways that if you're going to do it, you honor the past, which is what I wanted to do, but also reflect the point in time that we're at now. So in terms of honoring the past, I had met with my dad, who's old school. My dad's old school Islander. My dad grew up in a swamp. My dad, when he was 12 or maybe 14, he saved up enough money to buy and sorry, sorry, to build his family's first house. Before that, they were living in um, a tree, like cut down trees. We, we call it kiko coconut trees. Basically, chop down a coconut tree and strip the leaves and the wood and everything, and you, and you build a house out of that. When he was 14 years old, he had saved enough money to buy, an, to buy the materials, like the brick and mortar and the cement, to build an actual house. So he comes from a generation that's it's soon about to pass, actually, you know, given his age. But he comes from a generation where they were living in the swamp. For me, it was really important to recognize where this custom has come from and all of my ancestors that it has taken to get to the point that we were at. And so when I talked to my dad about it and said, this is what we're going to do, I needed to factor a lot of that into the decision making processes. There were some parts that I knew I wanted to do, and there were some parts that I didn't want a bar of. One of the parts that I, I absolutely knew I wanted to do is the welcoming. The welcoming and the cutting of the hair itself. Now, the welcoming is it's a big deal in, from where, where my family's from. It's a big deal. The welcoming, which we call a turo, is where you are, you're basically looking back through a window in time to when you weren't welcoming somebody in who had just knocked on your front door and they were half a foot away from you. You were welcoming somebody who may have been 50, 60, 70 meters away from you and you were welcoming them from that distance after you'd clocked that they were 
a visitor with good intentions or they were hostile and they were to be treated differently. So when you did a turo, you made sure that that person heard it and they saw it and they knew exactly where you were coming from. You would identify them as somebody that you were going to welcome into your village. So that was the first few lines that I spoke. And if you've listened this far, I'm going to treat you by showing or listening to playing the recording, sorry, and even I'll add a link to the video itself of when I did the turo in this hall. Following that turo, I did what we call a be'e. Now, a be'e is a, how would I describe it? Be'e, this particular be'e, I'll just focus on that. This particular be'e is something that has been handed down for generations through my family. And it is, a, a, we'll just call it a speech. That's probably the easiest way for people to pick up on it. It's a speech straight after the turo. The be'e that I used and that I spoke is um very significant for my family because it harks back to a chief called Taratoa. Now, Taratoa was widely known around the islands as being a BMF. This dude was a bad motherfucker. You did not cross this guy. If you crossed this guy, you had him and all the other Archu warriors to deal with. Now, the better that he he. Basically, the, the, the genesis of the story is that there's another island out in the Pacific, which is fucking miles away. It's not like it's not like going for a swim and you're from one place to the other. Like this place is you have to navigate with the stars and you're rowing a, a canoe to try and get there. It is it's, it's some sizable distance. Now, he, Taratoa, is unfortunate. He's, he's too old to make this journey. They've been asked by this other island to come over there and help settle a war that's going on. And Taratoa gives this bear, says this speech to the warriors as they depart. Now, I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I might later. I don't know how comfortable I am sharing the 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 translation of it. I'm not really sure why I'm not comfortable yet. It's just one of those things where I feel like, hmm, do I share this or is this the right place or time for me, you know, for my family? I don't know. I'll come back to you. Anywho, so I did this, this bit and welcomed my son and my wife and our daughters and through the hall to the throne, to the chair where he's going to sit down and have his hair cut. And this thing's this like <laughs> I had one of my my brothers actually mention it, and I, you know, I really felt this when he said it was for him. It was sorry. This is our brother from another mother. For him, he said it was spine tingling when he saw this turo and this bear unfold. And I really take that to heart because he deals with a lot of people. He deals with a lot, he deals with a lot of gangsters. He deals with a lot of people on the fringe of society. He deals. He sees a lot. He hears a lot. And for him to have his attention fully engaged and to have that kind of experience, it means a lot to me. So I did that and welcome them in and then we had these cook island drums go off now cook island drums are unlike i reckon 95 percent of the drums that you'll ever hear in your, in your life we do drums man we do drums really well uh i'll, pu- I'll put a link to that as well because i think it's definitely worth hearing so stick around and check the show notes as well so then the, the drums go off and then my son is seated and and then we start to go through the hair cutting ceremony itself. Um, the hair cutting ceremony is his hair is in ribbons. Now he hasn't had a haircut. It's his first haircut, right? So his hair is about oh, let's say two f- and a half feet long, two feet long, I think. Um hard to tell because it's wavy. It's it's actually like watching a Pantene ad. <laughs> Pantene, whatever. Um, 
V05, like a, a hair ad where the person's just got real luscious looking hair. Like that's my son's hair, or that was his hair. And it gets it got put into 11 braids, sorry, 11 ribbons. And during the course of the ceremony, each of the ribbons was, um, sorry, uh, a person was called out and then they would come up and they would cut a ribbon. Now, the people who had been um, honoured by you know, having their name called out and cutting it were people like his grandparents, so Kyson's grandparents, his godfather, um, uh, Papa, Papa Varani, who was a man that had lived with us, uh, is my uncle, um, his wife, we looked after him and his wife, but we looked after his wife, my auntie, who had palliative, she was palliative, she had, we provided end-of-life care and she passed away in our home. Uh, and I mentioned his godfather, so yeah, and, and then his siblings, and then you know, obviously uh, my wife and I. And during the course of that, you know, each time somebody's cutting up the hair, it's tradition that when the name is called out, that person dances as they come up, uh, you know, present a gift, cut the hair, and then you know, big beats and everything else on the way out. The drum, the drums go off again, and fuck, it was so cool, man! <laughs> it was such a cool vibe. Uh, would love to do it again, but at the same breath, I'm like, it, it's quite. <clears throat> Pardon me. It um it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of you. So we went through that, and then my dad spoke, and you know I got to be honest, man. I was cringing when I thought about what my dad might say. Um, if you want to know what my dad is like, there's an episode. Definitely check it out. It'll take you nine minutes, and it's it's one of my nine minute episodes early up, and it's to do with the wedding and the family curse. I. You should listen to that episode because that will give you a massive insight into why I was cringing. And and just a uh, like a, a teaser is the family curse that my dad talks about is how on this is the family curse. Like sorry, this is a this is my dad's speech at my wedding at Debbie and I when we have our wedding. And my dad talks about how everybody, all the males in my family, um, cheat on their wives. <laughs> far out okay so so check that episode out if you want to know why i was cringing thinking oh man this is gonna be like you know this is gonna be a tough one but to his eternal credit he he did a really cool speech he, it was it was beautiful it was for the moment for the occasion he brought an element to the occasion that i wouldn't have brought um partly because i'm agnostic but also I, I, you know, he did it the way it needed to be done. Um, he also did this, Imene, this, this, um, they did this, um, uh, a song and the song itself, the style of the music that we have back in the islands, the, the singing is, it's unlike very many others. I know there's a couple of islands that I think copied us, but anyhow, it's not about who did it first. It's about, you know, enjoying that, that moment and the energy they bring to it, but there's uh, they they sing this song and it is it's dope and it's dope for several reasons. But one of the reasons is dope. It's that the everybody who's singing it is about sixty five to seventy five years old, and uh, not just that that style is fading away. It, less and less people are able to sing the style that they sing. So it is gangster on a lot of fronts. Um, so that they have that. Sorry. So that part of the ceremony is done. And then, uh, you know, I come back in and I kind of talk a little bit more. And then we we open up um, the buffet tables. You know, we say a prayer and then, sorry, my dad says a prayer. And then we open up the buffet tables and and everyone just goes at it. And I, we encourage them to. Um, oh, sorry, before I forget as well. I mentioned that there were some aspects of the tradition that we wanted to keep and there were some, some that we didn't want to bar off. One of the one of the traditions that we didn't want to bar off is the uh, the importance that is placed on the gifts. So, in my culture, I I have seen a lot of pressure put on people to come up. Sorry, that's my phone. This is why you should always turn your phone off on silent, in case you guys hear this. But um, there's a lot of importance placed on gifts at a time like that. I think it places an unfair burden on people 
to come up with these material things, money, whatever, um, at a time when, you know, people are doing a tough, man. Cook Islanders aren't, like, made of money. and In fact, far from it, we're, we're widely renowned as being working-class people. Uh, in North America, you have, you know, people often joke about um, Mexicans or Hispanics doing the, the menial tasks. Well, you know, that's, that's what Pacific Islanders are in Australasia. You'll often see people uh, cleaning, cleaning the um, you know the food courts or cleaning buildings and offices. Like they're typically PIs, Pacific Islanders. Sorry. Uh, and so for me, you know, I've, I've never wanted to to support that pressure that gets put on people to to come up with gifts and whatnot. So that was that aspect of it that we, as I mentioned, we didn't want to we didn't want to encourage during the event and you know we, we were happy with the way that we managed that it does put a shitload of financial pressure on us though uh, I didn't want to know about the tab on this thing but this thing ran up in the thousands of dollars but honestly as you know many of you know I place very little weight on money and I place every emphasis on the deathbed test and the deathbed test is when I'm on my deathbed am I going to think about the money that I spent or am I going to think about the experiences that I had? And to me, it's a no-brainer. So we had the uh, where was I up to? So we had the the um, food, and you know, if you want to know how to feed a hundred plus people, uh, when Islanders do it, we do it big. Like we do it big. Islanders are big eaters as well, man. We're you know we're big on drinking, we're big around the hips, and we're big on food. Um, and so you know, there's always more food than there needs to be more food than there potentially should be um, but it's a it's a thing of I guess um, what would I call it I would just say it's a it's a mark of of honor that we give to our it's, it's how we honor our guests yeah that's a nice way to put it it's how it's one way that we honor our guests by making sure that they feel full when and fed when they're there but also that they take food away. And that's a custom as well. Like you always make enough food for people to take away. And, you know, when that person goes to, gets home and they're like, oh man, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm hungry again or whatever it might look like, they can have something to eat. Or the next day when they wake up in the morning and they're like, you know, dusting off a hangover and they've just got this amazing plate of food in front of them. You know, that's, that's Christmas time all over again. So that's a that's very much. A, I, I know it's celebrated in a lot, a lot of customs, a lot of cultures. Sorry, uh, place an emphasis on food like that, and I'm, I'm glad that we're one of them as well. Um, it's a bit unusual for our papa, our, our um, New Zealand European or Pakeha white friends, um, and just like I had to reinforce to people a lot because about eighty percent of the people, seventy percent of the people that were there. We're, we're New Zealand European, we're white. And so I'm constantly having to say, look, when you, before you go, you have to take food. Otherwise, it's going to go to waste as well. Uh, so after the, after the eating was done or just before it was all finished, then we opened the floor. Um, I spoke about Kaisen's name, which many people didn't know the origin of. Um, so Kaisen, our son Kaisen, his, his full name is Kaisen Mitchell Dale Rakanui. Um, Kaisen is a it's a, a a name that has no history in my family. Um, I got to choose Kaisen's name, and the reason being was that on our first two kids, I, I although I had an opportunity to provide some input, I didn't um, because I was oh, a whole bunch of reasons. One of them being I was just a bit useless at the time. <laughs> but um, in any case, I got to choose his name partly because we didn't think we'd have three kids. And so uh, the name Kaisen comes from, uh, it's a derivative of the name, of the word, sorry, Kaizen, which many of you would have heard. It's a Japanese concept. And that con the, the word actually means continuous improvement. What the, sorry, the word, mean, the word means improvement, but it has evolved to mean continuous improvement. Um, I wanted to change it, and so I did. I changed it to Kaisen, K-A-I-S-O-N. 
And before I did that, I had spoken to the Japanese embassy in New Zealand. And I'd spoken to them and said, hey, look, I'm considering this name for my son. What do you think? And the lady on the phone conferred with her colleagues and she came back and she said, nah, no, um, we, we don't actually think it's a good name, a good choice. I said, oh, why is that? And she said, well, it's because it comes from um, Toyota, the car manufacturer, which I knew. And she said, you know, which means it's, um, it's, it comes from their production lines, which I'd also known. And then she said, well, the, the reason we don't think it's such a good idea is because it's, um, it's kind of a working class phrase. And so I revoiced that back to her and I said, oh, so this is, a, a, like a, this is for working class, is it? And she said, yeah. And then I said, bang, that's it. That's the name. It's exactly what his, his name is going to be. Because my family's working class, both sides of my family. And I take a lot of pride in that. I take a lot of pride in the knowledge that my family busted their ass in blue-collar jobs, menial jobs, um, low-paying minimum-wage jobs to gift me this life that I've got. You know, they, they worked hard. They, my dad still does. They, they worked incredibly hard um, doing jobs that other people didn't want to do because the pay was rubbish. And so, you know, for me to honor not just my parents, but everybody that preceded them, um, you know, she, she, couldn't have, she couldn't have given it to me any better than what she did. So I was so happy with that. Um, Mitchell and Theo and, and Rakanui, I'm not going to talk too much about that. That was more a, a, a thing for the people that were in attendance. But, uh, you know, each of those names has a, has a lot of history and a lot of meaning behind it as well. One thing I will share is that if you go to Archu, the island of Archu in the Cook Islands, there's a, a cave there um, called Raka's Cave. Now, my fam- that's my family cave. That's where, that's where my ancestors lived. That's where they cooked. That's where they hid in times of, um, you know, whether it was a natural disaster or they were being attacked. Um, that's where um, some of my ancestors were interred, interned, buried. Uh, there's still remains there. There's, it's a significant place for us. Um, so that's, yeah, that's part of my family's history there. So I opened up the floor, uh, you know, after, I, after I'd spoken about Kaisen's name, and uh, my uncle actually gave, a different uncle gave a, a bit of a speech and he's actually one of my favorite uncles. He, he always has been, uh, partly because he's so different. He's so different from, I guess, my dad. Um, very, very similar, like very much coherent, uh, not coherent, very much conscious of his origins and uh, culture and everything. But he's just so much more chill. You know, chill people are cool. Uh, and so he spoke, and then you know the the whole ceremony was was wrapped up with a closing prayer. That took about two hours, two and a half. Yeah, it would have taken about two and a half hours, uh, including birthday cake, birthday songs, um, kids getting lolly scrambles and playing games and whatnot, and all the rest. So it was a it was a big day. It was a big day. I was, I had a lot of self-imposed, oh sorry, I'll put a full stop on that by saying, in terms of memorable life events, that is a significant one, not just for me, but for my family, and I believe all of those people that were in attendance. For my family, that was the culmination of a lot of hard work and a lot of thinking and a lot of, um, a lot of, gosh, just a lot of energy, you know, a lot of energy went into it. Um, I'm incredibly thankful for the people that traveled. You know, I had my brother and his partner, so my brother Kane, his partner Sandy, and their um, Sandy's son Noema. Traveled from the Cook Islands to be here. Um, 
I had people flying in from um, Auckland, people flying in from Hawke's Bay. These are areas around the country that are just, you know, they've, they've actually been smashed by cyclones. Um, and in some state, in some places, just absolutely, the flooding has been disastrous. And so, you know, less than a week or two after those significant events, they've taken the time to be at this ceremony, which it means a lot. It means a huge amount. Um, my aunties, my uncles, just everybody, everybody. So any of those that are listening, I mean, I know I thanked them before, but I don't know, sometimes you just can't thank people enough, you know, uh, especially when it's that heartfelt. Uh, Kyson as well did a, an amazing job. Like you imagine putting a five-year-old boy on a seat that's elevated above everybody else and getting them to sit there for about an hour and a half while everybody's watching them, and then after that hair cutting ceremony, like the barber had to come up and tidy up his hair, and he also put these spider man, uh, these spider webs on his hair, like this the design that he wanted. And my our son was just, man, he was just so chill. Like you couldn't ask, I couldn't ask any more from the guy than what he did. And I think we'd underestimated him. Debbie mentioned this as well. We'd underestimated him. We thought that he'd be really antsy and whatnot, but there was even a point that I didn't see, but Debbie told me that she went to hold his hand, and in 99 times out of 100, if my, if my wife goes to hold our son's hand, he'll hold it back. But on this occasion, he pushed her away so that he could be there and he could he could go through that. He was he was the man. He was the person. Uh, and so seeing that, just seeing his... his um, the way he held himself, the way he composed himself in a time like that, man, magic stuff, magic stuff. And I remember my haircutting ceremony as well. I remember aspects of it. And so he's going to remember some of this, guarantee. Well, I can't guarantee, but obviously he's going to remember some of this. And what a special thing to remember. What a special thing. So that was the end of the ceremony. A um, couple of hours after that, we we... You know, we tied it up for a bit, and then a whole bunch of people came back to our house. I say a whole bunch of people. These these are our friends, and man, you want to talk about being fortunate in life? Jeepers, creepers. We have friends that are, you know, we've just stopped. We stopped calling them friends, depending on the context. That they are so much like family. There's wafer thin differences between the two. They have, you know, they supported us uh, throughout the process of this. They they supported us during the day. They, and, and during the day, like I, I was touching on, like I had a, there was a lot of pressure to get this right. A lot of self-imposed pressure, don't get me wrong. That's what pressure is, right? Like we, 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 we internalize pressure. Um, and so... You know, I was putting a lot of expectations on myself, but I wanted to hit this thing right. Like I wanted to, as I mentioned before, I wanted to, I wanted to do this thing right. I could have done it differently and done it well, but to me, right had a certain look and feel to it. And in order to do that, I had to, you know, there were some critical aspects of it. Um, I failed myself in terms of how I like to manage people. And I, I use that word loosely, by the way, like in terms of managing a project, it was probably more managing the project. But I put a lot of pressure on on my friends to execute things that I needed to get done. And, you know, I guess if I could go back in time, that is something that I would change. It's because I know how I operate best if somebody's given me instructions or needs something done from me. And the way I was giving those instructions on those requests on the weekend wasn't the way that I would have wanted to have received them. So, you know, that's definitely a learning curve for me and something I would change. Um, Barry, Barry, one of my, you know, this guy's, it's Kyson's godfather. He's, he's as close to a brother as I have got, you know, the exception of my own, obviously, the, my actual, but um, God, I put some pressure on this guy and he performed, you know, he, he, that's what he does, but I put unnecessary pressure on him. <laughs> Things like, we had three barbecues going at one stage. This is three barbecues on top of 
all the other cooking that's taking place. Like there are one, two, three. There's cooking happening at three other houses. Uh, there's three barbecues outside the hall. This is full on. And there's also this thing called an umu taking place, which is where we cook food under the ground. I'm not going to go into that right now. There's just so much taking place. But I walk past this barbecue and Barry's on it. And I look at it and, I'm like, and I can see these gaps on the barbecue. And I'm the kind of person, like, I understand that, you know, you need to have separation between your meat because you want it to, the air to circulate and whatnot. But we were cooking for over 100 people, and because we'd had a massive barbecue failure, like the, the big-ass barbecue that we were going to use died on, well, it was never working in the first place. So we had to scramble. We kept losing time, losing time, losing time. And then I looked at all the meat that had to be cooked, and we're standing outside the hall, and I knew it wasn't going to get done. And so I just looked at him, and I was like, I don't like how I'm seeing gaps on that barbecue. Sort it out. <laughs> and the look that he gave me was... Fuck you. <laughs> it, was, it, was as, it was as close to him verbalizing it as he could possibly come without actually saying it. And then I walked off and I'm, I'm giving these barking orders to other people. And so you know, I, can't, I can't thank everybody enough for not just what they did, but dealing with the stress that I was projecting as well. Believe it or not, folks, the stress that I was projecting, because I was conscious, I'm not, uh, I'm not that, I don't have, sorry, I'm not oblivious when I'm doing something like that. Like some of it's tactical, believe it or not. Um, like I, I know at times where if I, if I exhibit a symptom of stress, especially if people haven't seen it, then they can tell the urgency that sits behind it. And that might seem like a, it might seem counterintuitive, but if if somebody sees me and I'm always cool, calm and collected, and then they see me stressing about something, then they know, shit, this shit is real, like there's something seriously going on here. Um, but there were also times where I was, <coughs> I was just stressed, you know. Um, I also knew that I wasn't peak stressed as well, because I, I had to, I had to leave 25 minutes before the thing started and you know there's barbecues going there's food arriving there's people arriving i had to leave to go get dressed and change because i was sweating like nothing and uh you know get into my suit my, my number ones and and when i went when i left it was at a school and when i left the school hall i was like i feel stressed but in terms of peak stress i know i'm not there i've still got a lot of wiggle room there but i'm you know i'm probably about 85 to 90 percent and so, yeah, I, I, I really can't thank everybody enough. And I know I keep saying it, but that's, that's just how I feel. Like, I, when I look back on that, on what it took to get this thing over the line in a way that I was really happy with, um, I, I, you know, bruised a few people along the way. And, you know, that, that's never a cool feeling. That's never something that I want to do. So, you know. Uh, like I said, if I could, if I could change something, and I, I'm not a person that, that lives in the past, but if I did change something, that would be one of the things I changed. Gosh, that was it. Was that it? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It was a big. It was a big thing for us. It was a big occasion. Um, it was. There was a lot of energy. There was a lot of, there were a lot of moving pieces. Oh, that's what I was going to say, uh, is that the stress that was be, being created as well, and this is, this is uh, a, a takeaway, a learning for anybody that's going to be project managing something, is that you'll often find that, you know, you have this vision of what A to B looks like or A to Z looks like, and then somewhere around F or G, there's an issue will crop up. Now, there are some things that you just need the person to solve on their own. And there are some things where they need your guidance to get it solved. Um, what people don't see, particularly when you're the hub, when you're the hub and you've got all these spokes coming off you and the wheel's trying to spin and it's not spinning smoothly because some of the spokes either aren't put in place or they're bent, is that they're looking to you to 
get them over this problem that they've got in front of them. <coughs> what each spoke doesn't see is all the other challenges that all the other spokes have brought to your attention. So when you're exhibiting these symptoms of stress, to them, it might look like they've asked a simple question and you've reacted in a way that is disproportionate to the problem that they're facing. That is because, or partly because of how you're managing the other aspects of it, all those other parts, all the other bits of stress around it. And so here's an example. I'd sent my mate off to get um, donuts, island donuts, not like the crust, crust, crispy cream, crispy cream donuts. Yeah. Imagine you thought crispy cream donuts were a 10 out of 10. Well, island donuts will smash those out of the park and they're nowhere near as sugary. They've still got sugar in them, but... Island Donuts, a gangster. Anywho, so I'd sent him off to another a, a city that's near ours to go get these donuts. And on the way out, on the way back, pick up raw fish. Raw fish is another delicacy. Well, not even delicacy, it's just the food that we associate with island gatherings. And I sent him a map of where to get the raw fish from. My daughter, One of my daughters goes with him as well to help him find the place. I'm doing, you know, I'm... I'm I'm back at the home and I'm organizing people. I'm getting questions and things aren't working. This not, thing's not working. This thing is going to, isn't going according to plan. This thing is working. And then I get this phone call from him and he says, oh, so what's the address again? And I said to him, check the map that I'd sent you. And, you know, he, he hadn't checked the map. Now, that's the, this is not like a finger pointing exercise at all. This is kind of going back to the point of, of, when you're exhibiting these behaviors, this is why people might not be picking up on all the other challenges. Like this was an example of that. And that in my mind, by giving the directions and the, like what the, what the task was and the time frame, that's it. It's gone. I don't, I don't need to worry about that thing anymore. When a person comes back to me and they say, oh, what, what's the, you know, I need the more information. I've already given you this information. Like that, it has like almost a, dual layer of problems for me one is that i've given the time it's taken to send you the information the instructions and now i have to do it again so i'm duplicating effort and as soon as i start duplicating effort that increases the uh, the lack of efficiency if you do that 25 30 times each person coming to you, and believe it or not, that is how many times, like that is how many people would, would had come to me with like a problem that needed to be solved in the, in the space of a couple of hours. You know, when, when somebody does that, they don't catch the brunt of, that. my mate doesn't, didn't catch the brunt of, um, of my frustration at the duplication of effort. It's a person five requests down the line that catches it <laughs> and they say oh i can't find this tray that we want to use have we got any more trays um and in my mind i'm thinking you're capable of solving that problem i have to solve that problem and 15 other ones sort the fucking problem out yourself <laughs> which is which is basically what happened so yeah, if I was going to give some advice, uh, even to experienced project managers, is to remember that the behaviors that you're exhibiting are a symptom of other issues. That, sorry, they may be a symptom of other issues. And just be mindful of that. Be mindful of that. You might, you might choose to express that frustration differently. You might hold it in. You might do whatever it is. But just be mindful that the problem that you're facing at that point in time, you might not exhibit your frustration at that problem until later on. And, you know, if you, if you 
blast someone later on that has not deserved it, has uh, you know, it's not um, you, your frustration is disproportionate to what they've the problem that they've given you. You know, you you come across as a bit of a dick, and I have no doubt that there were times throughout Saturday that I came across as an absolute dick. I do apologise, um, but you know, th- with the with the not just the benefit of hindsight, because I you know, well, I guess I didn't know at the time. Or, anyway, um, is that yeah, just being mindful of that can change the complexion of how you're going to behave and how that's going to be received. Uh, at the end of the day, we had a fantastic milestone um, life event that you know will resonate for not just me and our family, but for you know a lot of the people that were there. And I'm super glad that we did. Super glad that it all came together in the way that it did. And you know, if I when I'm on my deathbed, I'll be smiling at this one. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody, for taking the time to join me on this one. I trust that it was uh, entertaining and informative in some way. Time management is a skill and it's a muscle. And, you know, you can work this muscle a lot. Uh, I feel like the process that I applied on this particular project, call it that, this particular event, um, you know, always can do with improvement. But Man, in terms of understanding what's critical and then what's important and then what's noise, I think everybody involved did a fantastic job. Um, if you're looking at coaching to build up, if you're looking at guidance or advice on how to be more confident in those situations, how to manage your time more effectively and how to communicate in a way that engages people and encourages them to do the things that you need to be done, then look at the show notes and you're going to find a link at the top of those show show notes. Click on that link and you're going to be able to book in time with me. And I look forward to catching up with you, understanding what the challenges look like for you and then helping you succeed in those challenges. All right, kakite, which means bye for now. We'll catch up soon.